How are you? you? Have you have you gotten over the Chiefs game yet? Hallelujah. What do I want to bring that up for, right? <laughs> we don't want to be um, distracted by temporal things, do we? Even though when they're sad things. I want to go with go. I want you to go with me. Uh, maybe your sermon section or the app. Remember, I'm preaching a series called "The Gift of Rest." The foundational ser- uh, message or passage is Matthew 11:28 through 30. Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. How many like to claim that promise? Rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Uh, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you need rest? I saw a study the other day, uh, I think it was uh, from the American Psychological Society that said, if you are over 50, you should not be working more than a 24-hour week. You need your rest. I don't know how that scales back down, but some of you have got some time. You're, You're putting in extra time, aren't you? But he said, I'll give you rest. And today I want to talk to you about don't be anxious. Because Jesus defeats evil spirits. That sounds a little spooky, doesn't it? A Halloween message here. Because Jesus defeats evil spirits. I told my Sunday school class this morning, I said, you ever wonder what happened to all the demons? You ever wonder what happened to all the demons? You see, when Jesus walked the planet in physical form, he was always bumping into demonic spirits. Any of you read about that? You ever read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Hello? <laughs> you ever read that? He's all the time bumping into demonic spirits. And when's the last time you bumped into one? Don't look at the person next to you. That'd be real dangerous right now. You know. When's the last time you bumped into one? Well, I, I doubt very seriously that they all packed up and went into the abyss. So spiritual warfare is still going on, and, and so I, as I began to search, and I'll tell you how I made the outline for this series, I started looking up words like anxious and troubled and those things, and that's what drew me to certain passages. Where there is anxiety, where there is troubling of the spirit and the mind, I wanted to find out what is God saying there and what is causing it and what is the antidote to it, and so that's how I wound up at Luke chapter 6. It says, And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. Those who were troubled... By unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowds sought to touch him, for, the, for power came out from him and healed them all. And so I want to talk to you for a little bit today about the troubling that comes from spiritual warfare. And I just want to lay this out right here, right now. Are you ready? I want to make a foundational statement so that everybody's clear on where I stand on this. I do not believe for a moment that you can be Christ-possessed and demon-possessed at the same time. 
I don't believe that. It doesn't fit in my theology. It, it doesn't fit in my understanding of Scripture. I know that some of our faith teachers and TV preachers are saying, well, you can have a demon over on this side as long as Jesus stays on this side. I can't go there. I can't believe that. I can't hang on to that. Acts chapter 26, verse 18 says, Open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. He's talking about salvation now. They're turning from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those sanctified by faith in me. So if you've been turned away from the power of Satan to the power of God, you're no longer under the power of Satan. Amen. Amen. You're not going to walk around demon-possessed and Christ-possessed at the same time. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 18, We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Now, that doesn't mean never fails. It means their lifestyle has been changed. They, they don't stay in the sin they were in. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. Now, the word touch there literally means in the original language, the wicked one cannot attach, cannot attach to them. You get that... Um, you know, Pam, that you spray on the skillets? <laughs> you get spiritual Pam applied to your life so that the demons cannot attach to you anymore. So hopefully I've made my point because some of what I'm going to say today, you might go, what is he saying? What I am saying is that you cannot be demon-possessed and be a believer. You cannot be under the power of the devil and under the power of God at the same time. But I do believe, and some of you are going to accuse me now of speaking on both sides of my mouth, I do think that you can voluntarily open yourself up to the influence which can even become the control of the spirits of darkness if you choose to. If you choose to. That's not being demon-possessed. It's being demon-oppressed. It's volunteering to listen to the enemy. It's volunteering to be defeated by the enemy. Now, have I laid that foundation? Are you with me? Are you, are you weirded out or anything yet? <laughs> Very good. All right. So, the next thing I want to know is what does a demonic spirit do when it takes control of someone or begins to influence someone? And I can't read all these passages, so I'm just going to make references and move on because I've got to get to the preaching part here before lunch. Right? So what do demonic spirits do? What, what do they try to do? And what the Scripture teaches me as I look at verses like in Luke chapter 8 and the beginning verses there, I see that when a demonic spirit takes control of someone, it inspires them towards self-destruction. When you see people involved in self-destruction, that's the work of an unclean spirit. That's the work of the devil when people are trying to hurt themselves and, and destroy themselves. And then there is a scripture that says that one guy there that was of the, a demonic presence in Mark chapter 9, the, the old King James said, he pineth away. He pineth away. And as I looked that up, it means he literally withered. There was an emotional withering going on. He was drying up emotionally. 
In Acts chapter 5, the devil is tormenting people's minds. The Bible tells us that Peter opposed Jesus' plan, the plan of God for Jesus. And Jesus looked at him, Matthew 16 and Mark 8, and said, Get behind me, Satan. You do not, you do not discern the things that be of God. So when the devil starts getting control of people's minds, they begin to interfere with the plan of God. Can I get an amen there? <laughs> In Paul's missionary travels, we see in 1 Thessalonians 2 how that he was constantly being hindered by people who were under the control of demonic spirits. So let me wrap all that up for you before I start preaching to you. That when the devil begins to influence you, when the devil begins to get a hold of your mind, now if you're unsaved and the devil is taken over, you have no control over it. But if you are opening up to the enemy and allowing him to influence you, these things are going to happen. There's going to be spiritual weakness. You're going to find yourself doing the things that make you spiritually weak. Wake up. You're going to be involved in the things. You're going to start separating yourselves from the things that nourish your spirit and strengthen your spirit and make you stronger in the Lord. When you most need it, you're going to spend long periods of time without talking to God, without fellowshipping with Him. You're going to spend time without the Word of God coming in. When you most need a church service, you'll skip that church service. See, There will be self-destruction. There will be a withering of your emotions. A despondency will set in. There will be tormenting thoughts will haunt you and haunt you and work against you. There will be opposition to the work of God going on through you. You love the Lord and yet you find yourself opposing His very work and hindering His very work. Now, stay focused now. <laughs> um, I'm going to just crawl out here on a limb for just a second and say, not a single one of us want this stuff in our life. Say amen. Not a single one of us want this kind of presence to come into our life. So now I get to my sermon part, my preaching part of this sermon, where I say, as I looked at this and I began to work with this, I I found four ways that our peace is vulnerable to Satan. There are four ways that that our rest is vulnerable to Satan. So I want to spend this morning's time that you've given me talking to you about how you can recognize and defeat the enemy in these four ways. How many are excited and ready to go? Ready to go? Ready to get this? First of all, one of the four ways we become vulnerable to Satan is an unrighteous management of anger. An unrighteous management of anger. And I'm going to walk out on a limb, and I'm going to say something that may or may not be true. We'll see. You are never more like the devil than when you are angry. They said it's true. What about you guys? You are never more like the devil than when you are angry. And so when I become angry, I set myself up to be a person I don't want to be. To be a person who is so unspiritual and so unlike God, you might not even recognize me. 
Are you guys tracking with me? Are you Are you going to follow me down this path? Now watch this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Notice he doesn't say, quit getting mad. Because he knows you. Oh, this is so much fun, isn't it? In your anger, do not sin. Now he's going to tell us how we can be angry and not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Bad things happen at night when you're mad. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. What I think he literally means, don't stay mad very long. Let it be very temporal. And do not give a foothold to the devil. Do not give the devil a foothold. So, two things here. Do not let your anger take the lead. And do not let your anger stay around very long. Do not let your anger take the lead of your life. And do not stay mad very long. I don't know how you can never get mad. I mean, you, some of you have got to go through rush hour traffic. How in the world are you not ever going to get mad? Now we'll sing just as I am, have an altar call to be out of here, right? <laughs> and some of you think you work with the world's stupidest people. How can you not get mad at that? And I'm glad I didn't get an amen there, especially from my staff. Uh, some of you are in very frustrating situations on a regular basis. How can you not get mad? How am I not going to let that anger turn into an enemy stronghold in my life? Because, now listen to me very carefully, it is impossible for me to rest in God and maintain anger in my heart. It is impossible for me to not be anxious and, and then keep anger out of bounds. I've got to figure this thing out because anger will deprive me of my peace. It will deprive me of my rest. And I will not be able to do that. And the devil come in and take advantage of my anger. And as he takes advantage of my anger, something is going to happen right here. The devil will gain a foothold in my life. The devil will gain a foothold in my life. And when the devil gets a foothold, remember what he does. He creates self-destruction, spiritual weakness, withering of emotions, tormenting thoughts, and hindrance to God's work. So do I want that to happen? Absolutely not. So I cannot let the devil use my anger to create a foothold in my life because when he gets a foothold in my life, spiritual weakness, self-destruction, withering emotions, tormenting thoughts, opposing the work of God, all those things start happening when the devil gets a foothold in my life. It's not just a good idea to not let anger stay around. It's a spiritual necessity. Don't you think I have a cute face? Don't you? Not everyone can rock the chubby look the way I do. 
Don't you agree? I'm setting this up. I know that some of you look at this innocent baby face and you think, no. Well, I would tell you one of the greatest battles I ever had in my spiritual life was the battle of anger. Anger control. I remember one time years ago, my wife and I were arguing. I hauled off and hit the wall with my fist. I should have hit between the studs, but I hit right on the stud. Broke my hand. Had to go to church a few days later and shake hands with all swollen up and try and make excuses without lying in, in, in the church. I remember thinking how stupid this is to do something like this. How many times in anger did I say something hurtful to my wife or one of my kids and later have to go and say, I am so sorry for that. I'm so sorry. And I have to say, God, the devil is getting a foothold in my life. I need you to take care of my anger control issues. And some of you right here today are right there, aren't you? Don't, don't admit it. <laughs> You're right there. You're going to have to say, God, what I found out and what I'm still finding out is in that moment of provocation, before I react, the Holy Spirit can say, Stop, Jeff. Stop. Stop right here. And I have a choice to make. Whether my anger will take the lead and I will say something hurtful or do something stupid or whether I will say, Okay, God, you are stronger than my anger. I am not going to open that gate and let the spirits of uncleanness have control of my faculties. Hello? I'm not going to. This is where I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. The Holy Spirit's going to give me the ability. Do you remember that commercial? I love this. One of my favorite Super Bowl commercials a few years ago. It's, it's You're Not You When You're Hungry. Remember that commercial? You're Not You When You're Hungry. You know, Betty White is out there playing football, you know. Did you see that commercial? You're not you when you're hungry. I thought about this. You're not you when you're angry. You're not you when you're angry. I mean, you're a nice person. You're a loving person. You're a kind person. You're a gentle person. You're a nurturing person. When you're angry, you're something else. Hello? You're, you're not you when you're angry. Amen. Are you listening? Have you ever noticed that it isn't until after you have cooled down that you can constructively deal with whatever made you angry in the first place? Did you hear me? It's after you cool down that you can constructively deal with whatever it was. So vulnerability number one, an unrighteous management of anger. I've got to fortify that. I've got to say, God, Holy Spirit, unclean spirits are given undue access and control and influence of me when I lose my temper and I allow myself to stay angry 
too long or I allow my anger to take the lead. So God, Holy Spirit, come into my life and lock that door. Fortify that door. Secondly, an absence of spiritual armor. An absence of spiritual armor. i got to read a passage to you. I, I won't take time to parse it for you, but I do want to set it up because you, you really need to understand this. Absence of spiritual armor. And remember that Paul is talking to believers. He's not talking to unsaved people. He's talking to believers. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Be strong where? In the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. In other words, so that the devil doesn't get a foothold in you. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. That's talking about demonic forces, right? The battle is not over when you get saved. It, it has only just begun. We struggle against them, he says. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. The obvious implication is if you don't have the armor on, you're not going to be able to stand your ground. Say amen. You may be able to stand your ground after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then. Now we're going to start getting dressed. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all the saints. Remember the schemes of the devil, he says. Now buckle up and get ready. Buckle up and get ready. The devil's schemes. Told you those a while ago. Spiritual frailty. Self-destruction. Emotional torment. Opposition to the work of God, hindrance to the work of God. That's the schemes the devil is trying to bring into your life. And now the Bible says, put on the whole armor of God so that you will not fall in defeat in these times. If you look closely to these passages about the armor of God, you know what I see just glaring at me? Choices. Choices. He says, choose to be strong. Choose to put on the armor. Choose to stand firm. Choose to pray in the Spirit. Choose to be alert. And on and on and on. I see choices. Choices. This isn't a message on the armor of God. Man, I could take each one of those apart and we could talk about them. You ladies not long ago went through a whole study on each piece of the armor. But I do want to tell you that Sometimes we don't do so well in battle because we're simply not dressed for battle. Amen? We're simply not suited up for battle. We don't have everything in place. Now, 
I don't mean to brag. Should I even go down this path? Well, some of you guys, you have this nice, warm garage that you keep your cars in. And I don't like you at all. Some of us have a carport that doesn't have sides on it, so our automobiles sit out in the cold, and they're cold. But being a owner of a Ram 1500, I have this little fob, and I get out of the shower, and I head upstairs to get dressed. I pick it up, and I push it twice. You know what wonderfully happens? I listen, and I hear that V8 come to life. It sits there just sort of trembling, saying, come on, Jeff, we got to go, you know. And, and I look out, and I see the dual exhaust just spewing out power and torque out the back. And uh, for the next 10 minutes or so, the seats are warming up. The steering wheel's warming up. Are you jealous yet? A little bit, yeah. It's all warming up. So I take into account when I get dressed, even if it's zero, I don't bundle all up because I just, maybe, maybe I'll just have on a shirt and jeans and I go, all I have to do is get from my front door to that truck and it's warm. And when I get here, I got to get out of the truck and get to my office and it's warm. So I don't worry too much about bundling up. Because I know the environment doesn't call for it. Now, you know where I'm going with this. There are other times, let's say it's deer season, or it's a chief's game, and it's bitter cold. I lay out clothes, layers and layers of clothes. You lay it out the night before. You've got this layer and this layer and these socks and these boots and, and this sweatshirt. And, and you put them on and you can barely move, you know. I'd like to shoot that deer, but I can't move, you know. Because there is nothing more miserable than being somewhere and not being dressed suitably for where you're at. Right? It ruins the occasion. If you're there and you're not dressed warm enough, you suffer. If you're there and you're not dressed cool enough, you suffer. Now, here's the point I want to make from that. In spiritual warfare, if you're not dressed appropriately, it's going to be miserable. It's going to be miserable. And so Paul says to the believers, buckle up with truth. Just put it around your waist and buckle it down. You've got truth there. Put the breastplate of righteousness in place. It's going to protect the vital organs. Put on the helmet of salvation. You've got the shield of faith. You've got the sword of the Spirit. Now, guess what's going to happen? You're going to start winning instead of losing. You're going to start overcoming instead of being overcome. When the enemy comes at you and tries to take away your rest and your peace, and your happiness, and your joy, you'll say, oh, no, that's not happening. No, sir. I am ready to defend my joy and peace. Hello? Are you with me? I'm ready to defend my joy and peace. I'm ready to rise up 
and take the fight to the devil. I am not going to allow myself to be overrun anymore. I'm not going to let the devil tell me when I can be happy. Amen. I'm not going to tell, let the devil tell me that all is lost and that I'm miserable and defeated and I'm nobody. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to rise up because God has equipped me to win. I am allowing myself to lose when I don't put the armor on that Jesus gave me. He gave me this armor. And, and so when I put it on, I am going to win because it cannot be stopped. It can't be stopped. You know, I appreciate all the work of the 12-step programs. I wouldn't speak against any of them except for just a little bit. <laughs> I always just wondered about this one confession. When they stand up and say, Hi, my name is Bob, and I'm an alcoholic. I wonder what would happen if Bob stood up and said, Hi, my name is Bob. And I've been made more than an overcomer. My name is Bob, and Jesus see, thinks I'm to die for. My name's not really Bob. My name is Jeff, and he left the 99 and came and found me. I was that important to him. My name is Jeff, and when it seemed like the whole world had passed over and forgot about me, he came and found me. When everybody else thought I was done, he said, no, you're not, you know. He's the one that when I threw the towel in, he threw it back and said, wipe your face off. We're almost there, you know. You know, I need this armor on. The battle is vicious and cruel and merciless. I can't go out there and say, hey, devil, why don't you just leave me alone today? He said, yeah, like that's going to I have to go out there prepared for battle. Amen. How are you doing? How are you going out? Are you going out with the armor? Thirdly, the presence of pride. The presence of pride. He must not be a recent convert. The Greek word literally, a neophyte. Or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. I know some of your translations say fall into the same condemnation of the devil, but literally, if you see it in the original text, fall under the condemnation, the damnation of the devil. Here was the warning, Paul said, be very careful who you put in leadership, because if it's not a humble person, the devil is going to come along and crush them because pride is going to come into their life. If it's not a mature person, they're going to get pride, and pride is going to cost them everything. Pride is going to be the destruction. You see, when you have more flesh than spirit, you have pride. When you have more spirit than flesh, you have humility. No matter how wonderful you are, no matter how great you are, no matter how talented you are, the more spirit you have, the more humble you are. You know, even if God is using you in incredible ways, if you are full of the spirit and you're walking in the spirit, you're going to be so humble. Because you will know the Holy Spirit will always compare you to God and you will always come out on the short end of that comparison. Amen? And so there will be no problem with that. But when we allow ourselves to become a little bit too fleshly or immature in our spiritual life, pride comes up. And when pride comes up, all kinds of activities of the enemy begin to be effective against us. 
The Bible indicates that Satan fell from heaven because of pride. He said, I will lift, make myself like the Most High God. And the devil wants us to make the same mistake he made to try and elevate ourselves up higher than we should. I don't think humility is hard to find, and I don't think it's hard to maintain. All it takes is an accurate understanding of who you are in relation to God. You'll stay humble. <laughs> You'll stay humble. I mean, you don't walk up to Picasso and show him your stick drawings, right? When you stand next to Jesus, you're, you're just naturally humble. You go, wow, you know. And why is it so important to stay humble? Because humility allows us to go into the deep truths of God. Humility allows us to mature in the Spirit. Humility opens us up. Listen carefully. Humility opens us up to the possibility that we might be wrong about something. <gasps> it allows us to entertain the idea that we might be wrong and maybe we should think something differently. Humility makes repentance possible. Not long ago, I was involved in a debate on social media over some cultural issues, and it was a, a Christian Christian <laughs> thing we were talking about. I was amazed at the number of young people, Christians, who joined the thread and joined the debate who were absolutely void of biblical knowledge. And they would lay stuff into the thread I remember one young lady in particular said, I'm just going to believe the truth that God has put in my heart, and I'm going to trust my heart. And I wanted to grab Isaiah and say, the heart is deceitful above all things. You can't trust your heart. You see, God is not who you think he is. God is who he says he is. God is who he says he is. I've got to figure out what does he say. And here's, I'm not off the subject. Humility brings me back to that issue of who did God say he is? What has God declared himself to be? Who has God declared himself to be? And so if I don't allow humility to take me into the deeper things of God, the deeper truths of God, then I become vulnerable to the work of the enemy. You know, the Bible says, when you put someone in a key position, be very careful, church, because if it's not someone of maturity and humility, the devil will bring condemnation upon them. There's a vulnerability there. I don't want to be that, do you? I don't want to be that person that the enemy can come in and say, oh, yeah, man, you're awesome, you're smart, you're incredible, all of your thoughts are great, thoughts are never wrong. That is such a dangerous place to be. God, keep us humble so that deep truths resonate with us. So that we're always saying, God, show me something new and show me something precious and show me something corrective. And finally, the last vulnerability is spiritual passiveness. The Sunday school class is getting a double dose of this today. Spiritual passiveness. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Do you see that? Submit yourselves, 
therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. There's two imperatives here, two commands. Submit yourself, resist the devil. Submit yourself, resist the devil. Those two imperatives, do these two things, and then there will be a result. The devil will flee from you. Submit yourself to the Lord, resist the devil. I've got to give you a little bit of word study. Submit yourself literally means, it's hypostasis, to stand under the authority of God. Now, the reason this is so important is that if I'm standing under the authority of God, I can use delegate authority from God. Now, if I encounter an unclean spirit and I say, in the name of Jeff Davidson, I command you to get out of my way, he'll go, are you kidding me? What? There were some guys in Acts 19 tried this. They said, in the name of... uh, who is that? Oh, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, come out. <laughs> the Bible says the, the demonic spirits came out of that man, jumped on the exorcists, ripped their clothes off, beat them real bad, and ran them out into the streets blue, bruised and naked. How many would like to take that jog? See, it is not until I step under the authority authority of God that I can be one operated in the delegated authority of God and the devil cannot resist God's authority as it has been delegated through his people. See? And so when I as one who has been delegated the authority come against the demonic spirit, the demonic spirit has to obey that authority because it originates at the throne of God. Amen? So, it is that legitimate authority that when I step under his authority, now, he says, resist. Antihisteme, he says. To stand in opposition against the devil. I have submitted to God, and now I have declared war on the devil, and now the devil has to flee. Because I have submitted to God, I have resisted the devil. The problem is, if we're not very careful, we may even say, God, I submit to you, but we don't declare war on the devil. Because we're kind of having fun with him. We kind of enjoy some of the stuff he likes. We might be indulging in some of the pleasures he brings into our lives. And so we are patronizing him or we're partnering with him or we're allying with him instead of standing against him. And there's no victory in that. I cannot overcome that which I tolerate. Come on. I cannot win that which I embrace. So, I've got to say, God, help me hate what you hate. Are you with me? Help me hate what you hate and love what you love. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
fight the devil, work against the devil, and he will flee from you. 1 John 3, 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. For the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Did you know that you and I are supposed to be engaged in the destruction of the works of the devil? We're supposed to be engaged in that. Peter writes, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Again, verse 9, resist him standing firm in the faith. What if? What if? What if? What if? What if you spent your life on a search and destroy mission for God? What if? What if you decided you wanted nothing but defeat for the devil? Amen? Let's say that you've decided that every demonic spirit that you encounter is going to go down in defeat because of the authority that God has delegated to you. Don't get haughty. Don't, don't get prideful. Understand this happens because you have stepped under the authority of God. It's not you. It's not you. It's the authority that God is delegating through you as a child of his. Now, here's where I'm at. <laughs> not trying to over-spiritualize things, certainly not trying to, to get weird. But if I understand my Bible correctly on this issue, we forfeit a whole lot of rest and a whole lot of peace because we have not declared war on the enemy. And we allow the enemy to sit next to us and whisper tormenting things into our ears. And we empower them by believing them. Come on. We empower them by believing them. We are allowing ourselves to be deprived of that sanctuary, that place where you hide. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, you are my refuge and my strength. In Him alone will I trust. There's no need, friends, for us to be followed around by the enemy beating us with anxiety and stress. We can rise up and say, oh no, it ends today. I'm not taking this anymore. Because God has given me the privilege and the authority to rest in Him. Four vulnerabilities. Four vulnerabilities. Four ways 
I looked all through the New Testament looking. I hope I've, I've covered all of those. An unrighteous management of anger. The absence of a spiritual armor. The presence of pride. Spiritual passiveness. And if we could just take those vulnerabilities and say, all right, it's over. I am going to start living out my spiritual birthright. I want to start living out what God said I can have. Amen. I'm going to live in this victory. I'm going to walk in this victory. And Satan, you and your minions are defeated and cast off of my life and my peace of mind and my rest. Amen. Can I get agreement there? Amen. Stand with me. As I understand it, when the devil gains control or he gets enough influence, he inspires us to spiritual weakness, spiritual anemia. He pushes us towards self-destruction and self-destructive behavior. He causes the life that God put in us to start to wither. Despondency sets in. Tormenting thoughts invade our minds and wreck our peace. Sometimes, without ever even meaning to, we find ourselves opposing the very work of God and hindering the very work of God. Not by decision, but because of the oppression. But God wants us to live in victory over Satan. All this stuff I shared with you today was written to believers. Written to believers. Take this, he says, to the children of God. And use this to defeat the enemy in your life. Let's pray. Father, please help us. I pray, Lord, for a revelation and exposing of the tricks and the schemes of the enemy. I pray, Lord, that your people would no longer live beneath the privilege that you have given them. That the sadness and the anxiety and the despondency and discouragement would be defeated as they are pushing off Satan's influence. They have decided that they're going to walk in their birthright. They're going to walk in peace and rest. They're going to hide in the sanctuary of the Almighty. And they're going to experience the peace that passes all understanding. Lord, I pray that you would give us a revelation in our hearts of the schemes of the enemy. Help us not to fall blindly into the traps. May we rise up and be who we are in you. May we be more than conquerors. May we be those blood-bought saints who step out and accomplish great things for your glory. Father, 
As we always do, I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as Savior, as Lord, that you would give them the faith right now to believe in their hearts that Jesus died for every single sin they've ever committed that they will ever commit and help them now to receive, accept by faith, your sacrifice so that they will know that their sin has been paid for as they believe in their heart and confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord of their life. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, I may say this once in a while, but it bears saying again, I think that some of us are going to need to take these notes and spend some time with them. I think we're going to need to sit in the presence of God and look at these four vulnerabilities and make sure that we address them effectively. As I've raced through this sermon this morning, there's no way I can massage it all in what it needs to be. So I challenge you, especially if you're saying, I, I don't have a whole lot of peace and rest in my life right now. I challenge you to take those notes and the, the sermon section, however you have it on the app or whatever, and spend some time going over those verses and get them into your spirit. Because God wants you to have rest. Amen? He wants you to have rest. God bless you. See you next week for the next part.